Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail... A large manhunt is underway in Auckland tonight after a police officer was shot and killed in West Auckland. 14 months on from the killing of Constable Matthew Hunt. A survey has shown 73% of police officers want to be armed, the highest level in a decade. Both anecdotally and statistically, crime involving firearms is increasing. Probably most concerning for us are the higher levels of violence, particularly where offenders have been prepared to use firearms towards police. According to police figures, gang numbers are booming. The arrival of 501s from Australia has added an increasingly dangerous element to the organised crime culture in New Zealand, leaving the already entrenched gangs on high alert. That means guns are flooding the streets, and not only do gang members feel they need to use them, but they're more willing to. Politicians have weighed in. Quick access to arms when our police need them is critical, but it's a very big difference to say having them available quickly in their vehicles to them carrying them with them 24-7. We have a relationship that's about trust and about approachability, and general arming will um, fundamentally change that. But in the end, they have no say. The ultimate call rests with the police commissioner. The evidence that we have available to us suggests that being armed doesn't necessarily improve officer safety, but more people are likely to be shot. And so we have to select the things that will make the biggest difference. Today on the podcast, the pros and cons of the police being armed and the feelings of one of the communities most likely to be affected by it. Ben Strang is RNZ's police reporter. I began by asking him whether New Zealand's decision not to arm police is unusual compared to the rest of the world. It is. Yes, it is. The majority of police forces around the world do arm their police. There's only something like 19 countries with unarmed police forces, the most obvious comparisons being the United Kingdom, which doesn't arm their police, the others being the likes of Norway or Ireland, which are sort of direct comparisons when we're looking at size. Uh, The rest have arming to some degree. So, you know, like if we look at Australia, they have certain police that do have uh, guns on their hips, whereas, yeah, New Zealand, we're we're a bit unique in that respect. Why is that? Why don't we arm our police? Do we have a different sort of policing philosophy to Australia or the US, countries like that? Well, certainly to the US. Uh, I think we follow that UK policing model a lot closer. I think it's that whole Commonwealth connection. So, yeah, it's just a philosophy, I think. You'll hear the police commissioner talk a lot about... Policing by consent. In a model where we police with the consent of the public. Not wanting to use those guns, not having them on the hip. You use the phrase policing by consent, which is something that Andrew Costa comes out with quite a lot. But what does he kind of mean when he talks about policing by consent? I think the very simple definition of it from his point of view is that in New Zealand, the police want to police with the community at the front of their mind and with the community on board with what they're doing. They don't want to be policing and the community just hating them and wanting them to get out of it. And everybody looks to the United States and what's happening with how they police things at the moment, and that is kind of the opposite of policing by consent. Mm -hmm. People are absolutely opposed to what the police are doing in a lot of respects, whereas the 
police in New Zealand want the public to be supportive of the way that they are policing. Mm. That's kind of the key to policing with consent. So it's not an adversarial relationship between the That's public right. and the cops. Yeah. That's right. So police officers are not routinely armed in New Zealand. However, they do have access to arms. Tell me what the systems and the um, availability of arms to cops is in New Zealand. Yes, there's a few key things there. Any police officer who's driving around in their police car has a couple of firearms that they have access to. In the front of their vehicle, they have a little lockbox with a couple of uh, Glock pistols locked away inside that. To access that, they have to take the key out of the ignition, turn the car off. On that key ring is a... uh, a key which unlocks that box, and then they can get access to those glocks. There's also a rifle in the boot of the car, which they can also access if need be. They also, of course, have the armed offenders squad if needed for some of those more high-risk situations. So those are the the key parts of the uh, police forces as far as firearms if needed, if and when needed. And is it up to the police to exercise their judgment when they decide to unlock that lockbox? Yes it is, yes. So they go through quite thorough training around those things. They have to go through uh, a pretty thorough risk assessment. Yeah, There there is a very set, I think it's called tenor, um, which they have to go through in each situation uh, and determine whether bringing out a firearm is in fact necessary. Um, There are, of course, situations, and and RNZ has reported on this, where uh, in the last year or so, uh, district commanders have have set out orders for routine arming of police officers, I think once a week around the country when there have been dangerous situations, offenders on the loose, that sort of thing. So, you know, police officers have, in fact, had glocks on the hip routinely. However, that is, you know, an unusual situation even if it is uh, ever-increasing frequency. We're talking about this issue largely, I suppose, because of a recent survey by the Police Association of um, more than half of its members. A survey has shown 73% of police officers want to be armed, the highest level in a decade. Tell me a bit about that survey. What what questions did they ask of the members um, and, and what did it show? So they had 6,000 people respond to this survey. The, the association has almost 11,000 members. That's out of 14,000 people who are in the police. For context, 99% uh, of sworn staff in the police are members of the association, so they have a pretty wide reach in that regard. And 73% want general arming of the police. So that's a a pretty high number. That's the highest amount in a decade. It also showed that one in four general duties cops had been confronted with a gun in the past year, which was a a pretty startling statistic. So those are some of the questions they were asking is, do you want the force to be generally armed? Have you come across a gun in your duties? And it looked deeper into what part of the police are you in? What level are you at? Uh, those sorts of questions, so it could give better information about who's wanting these things, um, that sort of information. One in four general duties officers were threatened with a firearm last year. Was that a startling statistic to you? We are hearing a lot of stories in the past year or two about firearms. I've been trying 
personally to get as much data as I can out of the police to quantify some of the stories that we're getting because you can hear stories, but you want to see the data, the hard evidence and that sort of thing. And it certainly shows that there's been big increases in the amount of firearms crime and rates of the crime, crucially, because as populations increase, of course, the amount of crime is going to increase. So firearms crime will increase, right? But the actual rates of crime are increasing and by quite a bit as well compared to population. So this sort of information doesn't come as that much of a surprise when you see the rates of crime increasing as well as population. You know, like I say, 73% of overall um, staff wanted the force to be generally armed, but those those figures were much higher for frontline officers. So road policing staff, it was 79%. General duties uh, staff, it was, you know, 78%. Uh, those people who are in those high-risk situations, who are rocking up to a car who don't know what the driver has uh, hidden behind that driver's door, people who are going and door-knocking people at family violence call-outs and those sorts of things who don't know what they have behind their front door, they are more keen to have a Glock on their hip than somebody who is sit, you know, sitting behind a desk in their office, which seems pretty obvious. You had a really interesting piece in May last year looking at related stuff to this. In 2019, there were 3,500 occasions when an offender was found with a gun. The number of guns seized by police was up almost 50% in 2020 compared to 2015. And yet, there was not a paralleling increase in the police using their guns more often. The police were coming across guns more often. They were confiscating guns more often, but they weren't using their own weapons more often. And that's something I think they're quite proud of as well. And and, and as part of the fact that they're an unarmed force, you have to be good at negotiating. You have to be good at um, using your skills to not get into conflict, right? Um, and, and this is something I talked to the police commissioner about this uh, last week as all this information came out and he sort of echoed those things. For every incident you can point to where being armed would have made our people safer, you can point to others where it would likely have made things worse. We have a lot of incidents we could point to where uh, people have made the right decision to withdraw for their own safety and have apprehended the offender later. Um, having a firearm in those situations uh, could well lead to escalation. The police put a lot of effort into teaching their staff how to deal with these sorts of high-risk situations and how to talk to people when they have firearms and that sort of thing, how to talk them down, how to put the gun down, if you like, and they're very, very good at it. So, yeah, it was only something like 300 times that they'd used a gun compared to 3,000 times that they'd come across a a firearm, and that seemed like an astonishingly low number, doesn't it, when you consider the danger of that. Having a gun surely makes you more likely to use a gun. Oh, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you or I don't want to be in that situation, do do you, Emil? I mean, (laughs) it would be terrifying. Imagine rocking up to a... And and this is the situation for so many people. You, You stop a car at a traffic stop, And this is what frontline staff are saying to me is you don't know what you're going to be walking into. You don't know what the driver's going to do. Would you feel safer if you have a gun on your hip? Possibly. Mm. But at the same time, what happens if you make a mistake with that gun? 
Here's the president of the police association, Chris Carhill. These are the officers that are actually facing the fundamental changes that have already occurred in society. Those changes around risk to them and risk to members of the community out there because of firearms. So their opinion's the most important, I think. South Auckland would be fair to say is an over-policed community or a heavily policed community. Justin Latif is the spin-off's South Auckland editor and part of NZ Onia's local democracy reporting initiative. So the thought of all police carrying guns is something people talk about because the police are very much in and around their lives a lot. So I think that's probably where the fear comes from, is that every if you talk to a lot of young, particularly young men, they will all have a story of being stopped randomly for the cop to just look around their car, ask like really random questions, ask why they're driving this car and that sort of thing. Like, It's quite a common thing that I come across. And so I think those experiences, and there's probably other things where they all have a family member or um, know of a story where someone has had a bad run-in with the either the police or the authorities in some way where they felt they were treated unfairly. Um, and so those coupled with the thought, well, what if you add that layer of a gun to that situation, what does that outcome look like? Do, does that mean I'm suddenly at risk from being shot? Or That's what I think drives a lot of the concern in the community. Do you think there is a, a, a bit of a trust issue with police? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Dawn Raids apology just happened last week. I mean, that's a perfect example of where the trust probably started to break down because people were literally fearing for their lives. And I guess there was, you know, those dawn raids were carried out in quite a violent way and Mm. so people carry those generational traumas, I guess, into today. But Latif says the police aren't simply viewed as universal villains. There's a lot of good being done at the moment, you know, most, if you see cops around our streets, if there's two, one of them will be a Pacific Islander or um, an Indian or a Chinese. So you start to feel like, oh, they're not as, um, it's not like the states where you might sense, oh, it's a group of um, white men coming into our community, sort of overlording themselves. But yeah, like I said earlier, the intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. probably still just uh, sits there and creates that suspicion. But I think at the same time, a lot of police are really highly respected. And and I guess the, the other side of it is just that everyone knows that a, a gun is quite a final solution to a problem. Mm. And there's always that fear that, you know, anything that can escalate would, would escalate in a far more dangerous way. South Aucklanders already feel, you know, it's a classic joke in South Auckland. Oh, was the police helicopter hovering over your house last night? Mm. Because... The police helicopter, if you look at the police helicopter radar, it basically just circles South Auckland every night and there's like tight circles over different spots. And then we had the situation last year where you had those armoured vehicles that were brought in as a trial. The controversial police armed response teams have been axed for good. The six-month trial in counties Manukau, Waikato and Canterbury was fiercely criticised by justice advocates, concerned about a lack of community consultation and that the armed squad would disproportionately target Māori. And again, you, you just feel like you're under a watch, you're being monitored or, you're, you know... And it just creates, I think, a tension. And I think also partly, you know, I've talked to young people about this issue at um, high schools, and a lot of them will bring up 
police brutality in the United States because that's what's coming through on their social media feeds. And so I think we're also a global society and we're very much more, you know, our young people are much more aware of um, trends overseas than we might realise. Do you think, that, though, that there's, there could be a danger there of sort of overstating, you know, police brutality in the United States, it is jarring seeing that stuff come out, yeah, yeah. for sure. That doesn't mean that it's happening here, though, just because yeah. you can see it happening in the yeah, US. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's... Um, but it's still very much that's a mindset that's mm. driving um, a sense of fear and tension. And so, yeah, having police armed will make people feel like the creep that we're moving towards that. Around the world, the perception of police has changed based on what has been happening in the United States. I think there's also a couple of distinct differences, though, that people probably forget about how policing happens in New Zealand and how it happens in the United States. The New Zealand police force is one police force run and funded by the New Zealand government, whereas... In the United States, there are thousands of police forces, all separated. A city like Los Angeles, which has probably dozens of police forces, some of them run by elected officials. Sheriffs are elected. The situation in in police forces over there is just quite remarkable, really. You know, you can end up with properly racist police forces because you have elected members running the place how they see fit. They're all armed. They're very politicised. So, yeah, they're, they're very, very different police forces than we see in New Zealand. And that's probably m- missed a little bit by some people. Because those armed response teams, I mean, you were talking earlier about maybe the, the potential for, like, an in-between kind of solution. And those armed response teams sort of feel a little bit like they could maybe be one of those intermediate solutions between not having routine arming of police and having total routine arming of police. And yet that, as you say, was overwhelmingly rejected by the community. And if you're going to police by consent, then if something is rejected by the community, then it's rejected, right? Yeah, and that's a it's a really difficult one because the police association would still like to see those come back and feel like the police in particular screwed up the messaging around them. Mm. You know, you, you can understand the um, reasoning behind why they would want those teams. They have the best trained staff for those high-risk situations ready to go at, at any time, essentially. You don't want people fresh out of police college with no experience to have a firearm on their hip, right? You that That doesn't seem like a a good solution when they go into a high-risk situation. You'd want somebody with a lot of training who hopefully is going to understand when not to use their gun and all that sort of thing. So so that's why, you know, the theory around having those people out and about was. And in those three-month trials or whatever it was, they didn't use their guns once, which was, you know, one of the probably under-talked-about statistics of those trials. Mm-hmm. So in some ways they were successful, but... But in the crucial thing, which was the messaging and the response, they were just an utter failure. There doesn't seem to be much public support for the broad routine arming of police. Would you agree with that? Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because in this police association survey, they say that 57% of the public support general arming. 
but that 57% was actually a drop-off from two years ago when this survey was done, and I think it was 61% supported. So the support seems to be dropping and waning somewhat. And again, you sort of wonder, you know, the, the majority of people probably don't have that many interactions with the police each year. So mm. they may see the police wanting firearms and they may see the abundance of firearms crime and that sort of thing and, and support these sorts of moves. But the people who have a lot of interactions with the police and and see this sort of thing, they may not be supportive. And when the police are looking at policing by consent, as they say, who do they have to listen to? Who, who should they be listening to? Is it the people who they don't deal with very often? Or is it, you know, an answer a survey like this? Or is it the people who they're going to be policing a lot? That These are the very difficult things they have to look at. Chris Cahill said, as this gun crime has increased, and, and like I said, the one in four general duty staff have been confronted by a gun at the same time as that the same number of officers have reported having post-traumatic stress. Uh, so, you know, officers are facing mental health issues, all those sorts of things because of what they're seeing. So mm-hmm. that stress is also coming across to, to their big boss, right? Um, whether that blows over into anything, I'm not sure of that. I think police are, are pretty professional and will continue to do their job because they they do love it and they they love protecting the community and all those sorts of things but it is certainly something to watch because there's a lot of stress that they're under and that mental health side of things is definitely something that needs to be needs to be watched that's it for today i'm emil donovan The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air, brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us, thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Alexia Russell produced today's episode, Jeremy Ansell engineered it, and thanks to Ben Strang and Justin Latif. Matewa.